Hi, and welcome to this podcast from 1914 to 1918war.com. This episode contains the opening chapter of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Ben's father. Ben's father has grown to be the most enduring cartoonist of the war, and his book is peppered with examples of his art. Written in 1916, this book covers his early experiences in the war. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you don't want to miss any future episodes. And I hope you enjoy this reading. Everything you hold very vile is at stake. Du hast uns starke Berührung mit der See, wenn wir dem für uns höchsten weltumfangenen Geistkino von Gewinn. Bullets and Bullets by Bruce Bensfather, 1916. To my old pals Bill, Bert, and Alf, who've sat in the mud with me. Forward. Down south in the valley of the Somme, far from the spots recorded in this book, I began to write this story. In Billets it was. I strolled across the old farmyard and into the wood beyond. Sitting by a gurgling stream, I began, with the aid of a notebook and a pencil, to record the joys and sorrows of my first six months in France. I do not claim any unique quality for these experiences. Many thousands have had the same. I have merely, by request, made a record of my times out there, in the way that they appeared to me. Bruce Bairnsfather Chapter 1. Landing at Havre, Tortoni's, follow the tram lines, orders for the front. Gliding up the Seine on a transport crammed to the lid with troops in the still, cold hours of a November morning was my debut into the war. It was about 6am when our boat silently slipped past the great wooden sheds, posts and complications of Havre Harbour. I had spent most of the 12-hour trip somewhere in the depths of the ship, dealing out rations to the hundred men I had brought with me from Plymouth. This sounds a comparatively simple process, but not a bit of it. To begin with, the ship was filled with troops to bursting point, and the mere matter of proceeding from one deck to another was about as difficult as trying to get around to see a friend at one side of the ground at a Crystal Palace Cup final. I stood in a queue of Gordons, Seaforths, Worcesters, etc., slowly moving up one until finally arriving at the companion, nearly said staircase, I tobogganed down into the hold and spent what was left of the night dealing out those rations. Having finished at last, I came to the surface again. And now, as the transport glided through the dirty waters of the river, and I gazed at the motley collection of Frenchmen on the various wharves, and saw a variety of soldiery, and other host of warlike props, I felt acutely that now I was in the war at last, the real thing. For some time I'd been rehearsing in England, but that was over now, and here I was, in the common or garden vernacular, in the soup. At last we were alongside, and in due course I'd collected that hundred men of mine and found that the number was still a hundred, after which I landed with the rest, received instructions and a guide, then started off for the base camps. These camps were about three miles out of Arve, and thither the whole contents of the ship marched in one long column, accompanied on either side by a crowd of ragged little boys shouting for souvenirs and biscuits. I and my hundred men were near the rear of the procession, and in about an hour's time arrived at the base camps. 
I don't know that it's possible to construct anything more atrociously hideous or uninteresting than a base camp. It consists, in military parlance, of nothing more than fields, grassless, one. Tents, bell, 500. In fact, a huge space, once a field, now a bog, on which are perched rows and rows of squalid tents. I stumbled along over the mud with my troop, and having found the adjutant, after a considerable search, thought my task was over, and that I could slink off into some odd tent or other and get a sleep and a rest. Oh no, the adjutant had only expected fifty men, and here I was with a hundred. Consternation! Two hours telephoning and intricate back chat with the adjutant eventually led to my being ordered to leave the expected fifty and take the others to another base camp hard by and see if they would like to have them there. The rival base camp expressed a willingness to have this other fifty, so at last I had finished, and having found an empty tent, lay down on the ground with my greatcoat for a pillow and went to sleep. I awoke at about three in the afternoon, got hold of a bucket of water and proceeded to have a wash. Having shaved, washed, brushed my hair and had a look at the general effect in the polished back of my cigarette case, all my kit was still at the docks, I emerged from my canvas cave and started to have a look around. I soon discovered a small cafe down the road and found that it was a place used by several of the officers who, like myself, were temporarily dumped at the camps. I went in and got something to eat, quite a good little place that upstairs there was, where one could get breakfast each morning, just coffee, eggs and a bread sort of thing. By great luck I met a pal of mine here. He had come over in a boat previous to mine, and after we had a bit of a refresher and a smoke, we decided to go down to Arve and see the sights. A tram passed in front of this cafe and this we boarded. It took about half an hour getting down to Arve from Leville where the camps were, but it was worth it. Tortoni's Cafe, a place that we looked upon as the last link with civilization. Tortoni's with its blaze of light, looking glass and gold paint, its popping corks and hurrying waiters, made a deep and pleasant indent in one's mind, for tomorrow meant the front for most of those who sat there. As we sat in the midst of that kaleidoscopic picture, formed of French, Belgian and English uniforms, intermingled with the varied and gaudy robes of the local nymphs, as we mused in the midst of dense clouds of tobacco smoke, we could not help reflecting that this might be the last time we should look upon such scenes of revelry, and came to the conclusion that the only thing to do was to make the most of it while we had a chance. And by God we did! A little after midnight I parted from my companion and started off to get back to that base camp of mine. Standing in the main square of the town I realised a few points which tended to take the edge off the success of the evening. Number one, it was too late to get a tram. Number two, all the taxis had disappeared. Number three, it was pouring with rain. Number four, I had three miles to go. I started off to walk it. But had I known what a walk it was going to be, I would have buttoned myself around a lamppost and stayed where I was. I made that fatal mistake of thinking I knew the way. Leaning at an angle of 45 degrees against the driving rain, I staggered along the tram lines past the casino and felt convinced that the tram lines must be correct, determined to follow them. After about an hour's walk, mostly uphill, I became rather suspicious as to the road being right. Seeing a sentry box outside a palatial edifice on the right, I tacked across the road and looked for the sentry. 
a lurid thing in gendarmes advanced upon me, and I let off one of my curtailed French sentences at him. I can't give his answer in French, but being interpreted, I think it meant I was completely on the wrong road, and that he wasn't certain as to how I could ever get back on it without returning to Havre and starting again. He produced an envelope, made an unintelligible sketch on the back of it, and started me off again down the way I'd come. I realised what my mistake had been. There was evidently a branch tram line which I had followed, and this I thought could only have branched off near the casino, so back I went to the casino and started again. I was right about the branch line and started merrily off again, taking as I thought the main line to Bleville. After another half hour of this, with eyes feverishly searching for recognisable landmarks, I again began to have doubts as to the veracity of the tram lines. However, pretending that I placed their honesty beyond all doubt, I plodded on, but round a corner found the outlook so unfamiliar that I determined to ask again. Not a soul about. Presently I discovered a small house standing back off the road and showing a thin slit of light above the shutters of a downstairs window. I tapped on the glass. A sound as of someone hurriedly trying to hide a pile of coverless umbrellas in a cupboard was followed by the opening of a window and a bristling head was silhouetted against the light. I squeezed out the same old sentence. Paul Bleville, monsieur? A fearful cataract of unintelligible words burst from the head but left me almost as much in the dark as ever though with a faint glimmering that I was now warmer. I felt that if I went back about a mile and turned to the left, all would be well. I thanked the gollywog in the window, who, somehow or other, I think must have been a printer working late, and started off once more. After another hour's route march, I came to some scattered houses and finally to a village. I was indignantly staring at a house when suddenly, joy! I realised that what I was looking at was an unfamiliar view of the cafe where I'd breakfasted earlier in the day. Another ten minutes and I reached the camp. Time now, 2.30am. I thought I would just take a look in at the orderly room tent to see if there were any orders in for me. It was lucky I did. Inside I found an orderly asleep in a blanket and woke him. Anything in for me, I asked. Bairn's father's my name. Yes, sir, there is, came through the blanket. And getting up, he went to the table at the other end of the tent. He sleepily handed me the wire. Lieutenant Ben's father to proceed to join his battalion as machine gun officer. What time do I have to push off? I inquired. By eight o'clock from Arve tomorrow, sir. Time now three a.m. Tomorrow, the front. And then I crept into my tent and tried to sleep. Do hope you've enjoyed this podcast from 1914-1918wall.com. If it's the first time you've listened, thanks. Please do take a listen to the previous episodes. And uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please do leave a review. It helps other people to find the show. You can subscribe to the podcast in whatever player you use and you'll be notified when the next podcast is available. And thanks again for listening.